0: This is Tom Sagarski, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night.
1: And I'm not wearing any pants.
0: Sci-Fi Saturday night.
2: We will begin an advanced invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get
1: me so easily!
2: It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule.
1: It's your sacred duty to tell us
2: the truth. Confess confess that you will give you a witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
1: By Saturday night.
2: Welcome once again to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you get to hear stuff. This week, it's episode 468. It's comic book day here. We don't get to do that a lot anymore because there hasn't been a goddamn convention in almost a year, and I'm getting sick of that. So we're going to get to it. We're going to talk to a comic book creator, and it's interesting little comic book um and the only way it was able to get out was through kickstarter because there's only very few ways new comics can get out anymore because of well cause of a pan freaking but that's another story we'll talk about that and we're still in pandemic show mode because of the need for social distancing the clogging of the inner tubes and the whole world wide web is just clogged to crap. Difficult to get a solid signal once again using the paired back cast. Hoping for the best. At some point, Captain Cam will get used to my taunts and they'll have to be reprocessed. Because all he's eating is Soylent Green and everybody knows Soylent Green is human. Everybody knows that. So Captain Cam, um, we hear that you've been reinstated. <clears throat> into the miniature golf professional tour uh, after your unfortunate incident in August. And congratulations on your reinstatement.
1: Why, thank you. It it is nice to get out there on the greens, except that, well, well, living where we do, the greens are now mostly white. But you know, I just. But it's. But you know, the nice thing about miniature golf is it's all colored balls. You know, pink balls, purple balls, green balls. You know, you can see them in the snow. Yeah, you know, there's no problem.
2: There is so there, there are so many comments I could make about colored balls at this point, but we're not going to go there.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Dove. It's it's so appreciated. <laughs> we,
2: we we are totally not going to go there. Uh, I'm in a very good mood tonight. Uh, only because we're not necessarily i i didn't have to read a 290 page book uh, <laughs> prior to the show I and mean, it's really beginning to get to me to have to do that not that i not that they haven't been really good books because quite frankly uh they have been lately and but uh, i have missed talking to my comic book friends and 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 a lot of our comic book friends are friends that we've known for a very long time and our and our movie making friends and our actor friends and and our one of our mutual affra- acquaintances acquaintances. is that a word? It's not it Is now word. i'm making I'm making it a word. I have made a new word for this podcast. it's a, an an I don't know what what it means, but that's okay. Um, sent us a, a brand new comic book, literally brand new comic book, just finished its Kickstarter and got published in December, at the end of December, and just got disseminated and sent out. The name of the comic is Area 51, The Helix Project, which I'd love to say I had anything to do with, being as we record in Area 51, which I don't, and uh, tonight we'll be talking with its creator, Trevor Fernandez-Lankiewicz. Trevor, welcome well, to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you guys so much for having me on. And, you know,
0: you did not butcher my last name as bad as you thought you were going to. So I think that's a win.
2: I, I, think, I think it's as close to a win as I'm, I'm going to get with anybody's name. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey, you know we're we're in the middle of a pandemic. I gotta take what I can get. So big wins well, that's around. been
2: the story of my life for over <laughs> a year. Uh, I'm at I'm at the taking what I can get routine at this point for sure. <laughs> so you're rather young to be popping your first comic book, running it through Kickstarter, getting it funded through Kickstarter, getting it up on comiXology. And and uh, man, this is win 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 time. Congratulations!
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it was um, it was a, a a pretty long road to get there, but I'm I'm glad to to you know finally put a little bit of the insanity in my head out there into the world. If at least not to uh, warn people as to what I'm all about, I guess. <laughs> Scary
2: moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. So let's let's talk for a little bit before we talk about the book itself about. um, Well, first of all, you you have a website, Dark Knight Nation. Is that is that you or is that you and a couple of other people or what's that all about?
0: Yeah, so it's it's just me. I also so I also run a YouTube channel uh, called Dark Knight Nation. Where I uh, review, analyze, and discuss comics. Frankly, it's uh, uh, I I do have spurts where I'm not able to be super consistent. But uh, actually, if it weren't for that, I probably wouldn't have taken the step into creating my own comics. So I I do I do very much reflect back on that as as an overwhelming positive. And I and I have been trying to be more consistent again. Considering uh, I've been putting out a comic book, so. There's that. Yeah. So I, I, I run Dark Knight Nation on YouTube, the website, and I also have for now my publishing affiliations, Pocket Watch Press, which is my my company, I suppose, um, running through that as well. Well, what do you do in your
2: spare time?
0: Oh, I'm a I'm a, <laughs> co- I'm, a I'm a college kid and uh, I, I work. I work when when, uh, you know, we're we're not. Pretty much furloughed due to the pandemic
2: Good lord Okay so uh, You're young you're hungry You've got all these things going for you You're trying to make ends meet Uh, Got your own website Got your own YouTube channel Got your own comic book uh, publishing company Uh, What Was it That got you before uh, And again we're not even talking about the book yet. What got you involved in comic books? Where, where, where did this burning desire come from? Oh man. Um, I don't know exactly
0: what it was. I think, you know, I had a, I had a childhood friend who, um, lived out in the middle of butt fuck nowhere, uh, in, in, in part of Connecticut. And, I-
2: uh, that's pretty much everywhere except for Hartford, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's – that. Uh, well, well, you
0: forget New Haven. You can't not talk about some of the best pizza in the United States uh, in New Haven. It's urban.
2: Well, um, there's, there's also a really good re- recording studio right down on the New York border that I've been to a couple of times, but that's a different story.
0: Go on. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I would uh, I was over there and um, I, I remember him just randomly telling me about like Batman stories and uh, he had lost power and there was really nothing to do and they had some comics basically in their attic and I kind of dove into it and uh, for some for some reason my next response was to go buy Final Crisis on eBay uh, which I think most people would get pretty damn scared uh, if Final Crisis was, like, the first thing they really leapt into. But uh, me being, you know, absolutely insane, I saw that as something uh, that was inviting because I had no idea what was happening, what was setting the context for these characters that I knew on a, on a superficial level, you know, growing up with the cartoons and such. Um, and I was like, okay, well, where do I go from here? Uh, Well, I see this Morrison guy is has also done a Batman book, so let's do that. And uh, obviously, you know that it's a legendary run on the character. It's iconic, and sure. From from then on, I absolutely catapulted into comics. uh, When I, you know, around that time, the New 52 of DC Comics had been pretty well underway, and. Being a Batman guy, as most people at least claim to be, uh, I jumped into Scott Snyder's Batman. And, and man, when, when your first two comic book series for any real amount of time are Grant Morrison's Batman and Scott Snyder's Batman, it's hard not to get into comics.
2: And excuse me for mentioning this, but your the comic that you brought out, Area 51, has a very DC-ish feel to it.
0: Hmm. it's it's possible you know they say they say artists uh pretty much learn everything by osmosis so
2: (laughs) i I, was one of the things that cam and i were talking about uh actually before you came and came in uh came into the stream tonight was that there was there was definitely a dc-ish feel to the the whole concept uh, and the way the way it was put together And the way the the storytelling aspect of it had a very interesting feel to it and and became identified as as it came along. So you decided at some point along the way, uh, I'm going to talk about comic books because I like talking about comic books. Mm -hmm. And they're fun to talk about. And you opened up a YouTube channel. And then one day it occurred to you, if I talk about them and people seem to like to hear what I have to say about them, maybe I have a story inside me. Yeah. um, Well, a big part of that was that I
0: started really developing uh, a a hypercritical eye when it came to comic books, um, almost, almost editorially. And uh, I was going through sort of a personal crisis at the time, and I ended up you know at the, when 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 all that started, I was studying molecular and cellular biology at the University of Connecticut. Uh, and I realized that uh, as much as I liked the information, I absolutely hated the academic side to it and uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I guess Area 51 being like the first book I'm putting out was also validation that, yes, uh, I can use some of my science knowledge and uh, throw it into a sci-fi book and validate myself to, to some small extreme. But uh, really going back to that, I ended up doing the, the YouTube thing. I started interviewing uh, professionals that I respected, uh, the likes of you know, Brian Edward Hill, um, Liam Sharp, Jason Fabick, Peter Tomasi. And I started realizing that I, I cared way more about this than I ever cared about uh, getting yelled at by some 90-year-old woman with tenure uh, about categorizing amino acids. So uh, I ended up making the switch and, and changing my focus, my field of study, over to something more creative. And from then on, you know, I think I just became more and more critical in my reviews of comics and in the way that I discussed them. Uh, you know, some of my peers like to call me uh, surgical when it comes to reviewing them. And at, at that point, I, I go, you know, I talk a lot of shit about comic books. At this point, I feel like I got to put my money to my mouth where my mouth is and just do it myself.
1: And I find that if you, you spend enough time or listen, because like with Dome and I, we've t- we've we've talked to hundreds of authors, you know, and writers, both for comic books and regulars some of that really does rub off. You start to learn a little something, and that, for at least for Dome and I, we take that to our next podcast and our next interview, and that, that informs us on how we interview and how we talk about these subjects. So, And there's been a few moments where I've sat there and thought myself, you know, I'd like to write my own book or something, mm-hmm. so I can see where that really does come from. Yeah, yeah
0: I, I think at that point, there was you know, you, you I, I started, I feel like, developing some sort of instinct around it, uh, especially just based on the conversations I was having with creators. I mean, even off-air, off, uh, off quote-unquote, you know, they were saying that, you know, you're asking, like, artists' questions in interviews rather than the standard interview question. Uh, and they had said, you know, had you considered kind of looking towards the creative direction? And at the time, I was like, uh, you know, everybody kind of thinks about it. But, um, it, you know, from that point on, it was – okay, how do I take that and sort of solidify it? And at that point, it was learning craft. You know, craft is a is a big thing for me, and especially when it comes to reviewing them. Uh, it's something that I, I think that I bring to the table in that way, where I'm talking about what the artist is doing with camera, with layout. I'm talking about how the writer is building uh, the proper amount of stakes in order to carry you over to the next installment, things like that. So, you know, at that point, I'm like, well, what if I – took all of those thoughts and reverse engineered my own book uh and you know that's that's kind of where we're at today and 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 trying to get better every time and and become more intimate with the the medium because i think there's there's just nothing else like comics <laughs> frankly
1: oh i, I agree 100 percent some of the greatest stories don't that I've ever read in comics don't have a single superhero, not a single cape, not a single mask. And yet they're amazing stories. And that is really what I've, whenever I'm selling people on comics that have never read it before, it's that you have to read, not just your DC and your Marvel, not that they don't write good stuff, but mm-hmm. you have to read other things. You have to read small creators like yourself who create something that's science fiction or something that is, you know, set in our modern day world and has nothing fantastical about it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's you have to.
0: Absolutely. And and it's not to be said that, I mean, most comic book people, I think, start with superhero comics um, and I still read superhero comics. I actually before the pandemic or like literally as the pandemic was coming on, I interviewed at Marvel uh, to become an editorial assistant. Uh, and then obviously a pandemic happened. So, you know, that's I love all of that stuff. But I think that what comics are generally lacking uh, is basically genre fiction engaging things that only the medium of comics and sequential narrative can. So, um, you know, I, I bring those sort of influences from the indie market from old school vertigo comics. And, and I want to channel that into something for right now.
2: So when you're, when you're writing an independent comic, you have two choices. Number one is you do everything. Mm. And in order to do that, you need to write, you need to be able to draw, you need to be able to do the coloring, you need to be able to do the lettering, you need to be able to do the editing, or you need to be the ringmaster.
1: Mm.
2: And You write the script, you find yourself an artist, you find yourself a colorist, you find yourself a really good inker, you find yourself someone who's going to do you a killer cover, you find yourself a really good letterer, and that's what you've done here. And that is a I don't know which is more difficult because I've known both Ask both ends of that process, I have some very close friends in the industry, in the independent industry, who do it all. Mm. And by doing it all, I mean they will kill themselves to get the lettering right. And it takes them as long to do the lettering as it did to write the script
1: Mm
2: -hmm. because you and i both know that if the lettering doesn't work it throws the whole look of the panel off absolutely (laughs) and if you're a casual reader of comics you may not understand that but if, if this is your child, if this is your baby, and in this case, it is, <laughs> how did you go about finding Marcelo Salazar, uh, uh, Marcio Ferri, uh, Adrian Bone, and, and Taylor Esposito? So it was an interesting one uh, because. It has I, to be because these guys are all over the place and they've got solid bona fides all over the all over the world yeah that that was a
0: huge thing for me because i've always sort of prided myself at least in the development stages of the book of knowing that this isn't going to be that nobody's going to look at this and say this is this guy's first comic um i don't want it to be good for my first comic i want to make a good comic book and whether that comes off as maybe overconfident, pretentious, whatever, uh, frankly, I, you know, that doesn't quite matter to me. All I care about is putting out good content uh, and and valuing the dollar of whoever decides to pick this up and make sure that they get their dollar's worth.
1: Bingo. So for,
0: for, for me, it was I know I'm I know I'm a solid writer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not Alan Moore, not yet, at least.
2: Uh, and nobody's Alan Moore, but Alan Moore,
0: <laughs> yeah, correct. percent correct. But, but, you know, being, be writing to his caliber is obviously a great goal to, mm-hmm. to look at because it'll keep you climbing. And he's, I mean, he's, I mean, you know, I don't know if you were able to pick up on some of the references, but there are definitely some, some Alan Moore Watchmen references in this book. Yep. Um yeah. But when it when it comes to this, you know, I I think to myself, uh, obviously, it's it is an expensive venture on the front end trying to produce a comic and it is not always financially feasible coming out on the back end. But um, uh, we're going to make sure that this is a comic that you could pick up that that would be top tier quality at Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, you name it. And so uh, I spent a lot of time on the Internet. Uh, One of the first things that came to mind was that a lot of a lot of the most underrated artists, for example, at Modern DC uh, have been in Brazil and uh, DC has been able to just throw them on books, which tells me that um, they're probably not working for an extremely high page rate. Whatever the American dollar translates to in Brazil is probably sufficient enough for people to live. And so uh, I actually started looking for Brazilian artists, uh, (laughs) particularly. And I found Marcelo, who has worked with the likes of uh, Jimmy Palmiati and Justin Gray, yep. Um, who has this this wonderful ability to set up, uh, uh basic. Basically, I what I love about Marcelo is the way he sets up lighting. Lighting is something that's huge and atmospheric that nobody really talks about in comics, uh, and he does some really really interesting things with layout. You know, um. And, and when it came to the colorist, man, I went through probably thirty or forty different like people uh, to color the book, and I ended up picking somebody who actually knows Marcello. But with with the colorist, it was finding somebody who is going to specifically be able to recognize the strengths and the weaknesses of the pencils and inks and bring out the absolute best in this. And um, you know, the the thing is that Marcello does this really brilliant job setting up his lines uh composing the scene but he's not like super 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 high detailed on his own if you look at a lot of the textures in this book it's actually Marcio you know there's like early pages where you see hands closed up and you see a lot of mid-tones in there creating this, this element of texture and of depth. And it's Marcio, you know, his awareness of how to use palettes, his awareness of setting up illumination shading. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, people don't give colorists enough credit for what they do. And not to say that Marcelo isn't absolutely knocking this out of the park because I, I mean, you look at the way he sets up these moments in the book uh, and the way he's able to interpret the script into something that just translates to, you know, emotion, tone, what what have you, he does it. So, you know, the, I, I think finding those two was an absolute, uh, absolute gem. Uh, and fortunately, we've worked pretty well together. Uh, and we're as far as, you know, being, I would say, 70 percent of the way through issue two right now. Uh, and then, I mean, Taylor Esposito is a is a household name in comic books. If you know comic book letterers, he is, uh, I mean, an absolute master of the craft at Ghost Cliff Studios. And one of the things, you know, you you talked a, a little bit earlier, Dome, about how important the letters are, and it's something that's huge in the industry as well because it seems like the easiest thing for an independent creator to neglect. And so, making sure that your absolutely. letters are absolutely,
2: absolutely, yeah. yeah
0: yeah so making sure and that's that, one of I, the
2: things as 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 i'm going through this i'm going <clears throat> that's one of the things that as i'm as i'm going through i'm going i'm not having a problem with that and it surprises me because yeah. it's a first time book by a first time author in a kickstarter project there there's a place where you could cut a corner and they all do hmm yeah that was huge um namely because
0: i had gotten i've seen some advice from creators that i respected that had said that you know lettering was one of the first things that an editor from a bigger publisher is going to look at if they're interested in you uh as a as a in as an independent creator because it's it's the first thing like we said that a lot of indie guys will skimp out on to save costs and if you're able to maintain or ex sort of uh, boost the level of quality of the book through the lettering It shows that you're paying attention to fine detail and, and let, me and tell
2: you, let me tell you what, what gives it a pro look What gives it the pro look Is The way the, the talk Balloons Go from rounded And white To square And yellowed For exterior And interior dialogue Mm, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a prose touch.
0: Yeah. Taylor, I mean, Taylor was incredible to work with and I, I mean it sincerely. I asked so many goddamn questions (laughs) about the process because I, I, you know, going into this new, I know that I, my knowledge of, of letter design is so minimal and I wanted to make sure that for the future, I'm asking the right questions. So I know what is fair to ask. I know what I should be looking for. I know what I can, you know, maybe push a letterer on and things of that nature, being aware of of just the, the overall creative and collaborative process. And I mean, he was incredible, aside from the fact that I, I think it, his work speaks for itself on the page. Um, you know, I, I got to thank him just for fielding the questions of, of a, of a, of an ignorant and, uh, frankly, talkative guy, uh, you know, and just putting me in a position where I, I feel so much more comfortable moving forward. And I, I can't wait to work with him again on issue two.
2: That's how we all learn. Yep. And, uh So now you've, through your psychobabble, (laughs) answered part of my next question, because here's where the book pissed me off. Sure. You told very little plot. Mm Mm-hmm. This book is all, almost, almost all set up. It gives away very little mm-hmm. plot. It tells me very little story. It tells me very little character. It gives me crumbs. It gives me Hansel and Gretel cookie crumb paths. And it pissed me off because of that. It sent me to... wonder a number of things, a number of seemingly disconnected things Uh, about the main character, about the main character's past, and about laying leukocyte antigen Mm-hmm. Now, I am a stickler for if somebody's going to throw something in to a piece of work um that is supposedly real, I'm going to make sure it's real. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what a leukocyte antigen was. I now know what that is. Mm -hmm. And it's real. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, And I now have an idea of why that's in the book. I have no idea of what relevance it has towards the characters. So my guess is this. Now that you've pissed me off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, what are your plans for the future of this series? Do you have a, a plot block out for how many more books within the series? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we're doing a total of six and, uh, one of the big things for me for issue one was primarily to do a lot of emotional setup, so that when we're when we're running on plot, uh, they have it has impact. We know how this is affecting those characters, why the stakes are so grave for them emotionally and, and sort of uh, corporately. You know the, the thing for me that I I really wanted to walk away from. Is the tendency for comic book writers especially in first issues to just info dump the shit out of the book and kill pace um for me my entire purpose to issue one is to set up the breadcrumbs so that by the time you get to page 24 you're like where the fuck is the rest of this book right mm-hmm. so whether whether you're and you succeeded ups- right so whether you're upset at me uh because there's no plot or not I feel confident that I've done my job enough to say, well, at least this guy's pissed off enough to pick up issue two and wonder what the hell's going on. Uh, and that was big for me because I think half the time I get out of issue ones and I'm like, okay, um, you're telling me things, you're telling me things, you're telling me things, you're telling me things. And, um, you're not showing me what's happening. And as far as I'm concerned, this issue one, the intent is again, to do a lot of emotional setup, start teasing questions for backstory, start teasing questions as to what's going to come forward. That way, once we get to the body of this series, we're not slowing down. We're going to pick up speed and it's going to go faster and faster and faster until the climax of the series hits you square in the face. Uh, It's, it's a, there's a consciousness. I think that I've, I've tried to carry over in pacing so that, I uh, so that I am literally grabbing the reader by their balls. And if I want to throw you into something, I'm going to throw you into something. If I say stop, we stop. And and I want to make sure I'm doing that in a way that whether somebody is is enjoying it, is, is pissed off or, or what have you. They're there. They're there for the ride. And there's something that's going to carry them into the the, the the future of this story.
2: You've done it. Um, um, yeah, this, the book is, is, uh, is, uh, actually broken down into what I, what I see is four parts, the far past, the near past, the present, and, uh, a possible future. Mm -hmm. And, um. Nice job, thank you <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it uh you should take it um my My hope is that throughout the rest of this series, you maintain the same level of of quality both in in writing and in process. Uh, because the book looks very nice. Thanks. I, it, uh, <clears throat> it is easily mistaken for something that, that could be put out as you wished uh, by a Dark Horse or a, uh, or a Marvel or a DC. Um, it has the, the quality and flow of, of that kind of a writing. Although I'm I want more meat to it. I want I want more to it, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, I think, what what you wanted that first one to be. Yeah,
0: I I can I can 100 percent promise you that uh, uh, if if you thought that issue two after reading this was something that was going to drag you along sort of in that same vein, uh, it's going to hit you in the face. Uh, Issue two. Issue two hits the ground running, and when you when you read the beginning of that book, you'll know what I mean literally.
2: Now, what is your plan for distribution for the remaining five issues?
0: So for right now, uh, we're looking at continuing pre-orders on the Kickstarter model, at least that way. Uh, things can remain financially feasible for me to continue and not have to stop production on the books. Uh, myself, the crea- the rest of the creative team, um, are are we're, we are picking up speed every step of the way, because now not only am I just as a first time creator becoming more and more familiar with the process, we're becoming more familiar with each other. And I think that it's, it's doing very well for the synergy of the book overall. And in terms of production, you know, uh, there, there were so many little fricking things that I, I just expected to go smoothly, which was an error on my part, Oh, were, back to the wonderful world of Kickstarter. Right. That were just <laughs> tedious. And it was less Kickstarter, more publishing, just the, the yep. pre-press process, yep. things like that, that were a bitch and a half. Uh, and now that I'm aware of them, I am already taking steps to make sure that there is no slowdown. It also honestly doesn't help that uh, I had COVID uh, just as this book was going to pre-press. <laughs> so low. that didn't quite help me out either.
2: Yep. <laughs> I understand that feeling well. (laughs) Yep. When when can we look forward to, uh, in general terms, uh, Kickstarter for book two?
0: I am hoping to have it out uh, in less than a month. I'm looking for the early middle February. Um, I wanted to give folks time that, that back the Kickstarter that might be buying it after the fact to, to sit, to sit and read it, uh, to gather their thoughts. And the nice thing is I feel pretty confident that again, by the time we get to the Kickstarter for issue two, that people are probably going to get it in about half the time that they did for issue one, because I want to keep this excitement going. I want to keep, uh, I want to keep the interest alive. And frankly, one of the things that does bother me about the, the sort of, publishing schedule of comics are that it joints story and it creates this really difficult uh, mountain for writers to walk up because not only are you trying to pace for your overall story but now you also have to pace for these installments where there is a month maybe multiple months in between and that's it frankly it is it's kind of tiresome it is certainly a challenge um and and that was a big thing for me, again, is not only making sure that each part fulfills something that the greater story needs, but also that so that each part is is grabbing the reader by the throat and keeping them engaged, uh, whether it's me, you know, pissing you off or or otherwise <laughs>
2: um, pissing you know. me off in a good way, in cool. a good way. Yeah, that's that's again in a covid world. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So You will do us the favor of when the Kickstarter is ready to go up, uh, you will let us know so that uh, the people who listen uh, to our podcast will have the knowledge of that. Uh, They know now where they can get uh, issue number one, and they will then know where they can uh, throw their uh, five or ten bucks to get issue number two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, hopefully – Hopefully, you know, once once we I have the digital copy, I'll definitely forward it to the two of you and you can give me shit as to whether or not I've delivered on my promise of hitting the ground. <laughs> running.
1: We would love to. We are actually would love to see what the issue two has to has in store for us.
0: I would um, love today. to be able to
2: write a blurb for you for it.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely take it. Like I said, I think I should have a completed readable digital copy in the next two weeks, I oh, think. Outstanding. Um, so I'll definitely be reaching out to the two of you. And like I said, I mean, like issue two, you, we're doing some big plot stuff, my friend. Uh, hitting the ground running. I mean, you you got to the end of issue one. Obviously, there's a mysterious character that is, uh, you know, tracking Kent down, our, our yep. protagonist. Uh, you're going to figure out who M is, why they have a stake in the conversation of the Helix project. Uh, you're going to get a little bit more of the sort of uh, – the 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 military man that you find at, at towards the end of the book that that little sort of glimpse at who he is you're gonna see what he's all about um, and and you're gonna get a little bit of a uh, uh, sense for Kent's uh, let, let shall we say heritage
2: of sorts. There we go. All questions I've been impatiently waiting to have answered. Yep. <laughs> Listen, I'll take it. Our guest tonight has been a guy whose name I would love to be able to pronounce correctly. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to try and butcher it one last time. I believe you.
1: No. (laughs) Trevor Fernandez Linkowitz. There we go. There you go. We're, We're making progress, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)
2: The first issue of area 51 helix project is out now issue number two will be coming to kickstarter in february hey man thanks for coming on the show really appreciate having you on yeah thank you
0: guys for having me you guys were a blast to chat uh and i i like readers and um commentators that hold creatives accountable i think that's that's big and um I, I, I appreciate that, especially as somebody who, ve- who sees themselves as a young, hungry creator because I never want to become complacent. So thank you for that. Thank you for keeping me on my toes. And I, again, I appreciate the opportunity to sit down
2: and chat with you guys. It was a blast. You're welcome. And we're done. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family. Now on Amazon, and and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family the audiobook is available on Audible because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff just look at robwattsonline.com and don't forget to try the watt sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to JoJo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang. From his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody.
1: There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night everybody! Yes.